Hello everyone, I'm Chris Dauphin, your TSEA Communications Director. Welcome to the Ask TSEA video podcast, our monthly show where state employees ask the questions and TSEA provides the answers. We're excited to begin, but first we want to remind you to please subscribe to our Ask TSEA YouTube channel and follow us on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TSEA Online. All right, so thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome to Ask TSEA Episode 5. I'm your TSEA Communications Director, Chris Dauphin, and with me today is Executive Director Randy Stamps. And uh, we're going to start off with a few announcements, um, some deadlines coming up and and other things we want to make you aware of, and then we'll get into our general discussion. Um, Coming up a week from this Thursday, on Thursday, January 30th, is our Middle Tennessee Legislative Dinner. The dinner is at 5.30 p.m., at Sweat's Restaurant at 2725 Clifton Avenue, and that's in Nashville. And we're asking everyone if they're, if they're going to attend to RSVP by this Friday, January 24th. And you can do so on our website at tseaonline.org. And when you're on the website, just to the right side, you'll see a red square that says uh, Middle Tennessee Legislative Dinner. Just click there and follow the instructions to RSVP. The next um, deadline coming up uh, is a save the date for Lobby Day. Our Lobby Day will be Tuesday, March 3rd here in Nashville. Um, and I've heard that we're expecting the governor to speak. Is that right? Have we yes, we, we've actually uh, have a commitment from uh, Speaker Cameron Sexton, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, and the governor. They will all be speaking to us in the chamber that morning. Well, that's going to be amazing. So if you can make that day, uh, please plan to be there. And that would... Uh, what time does that usually start? Eight in the morning? Um, I believe eight or eight thirty. Um, the speakers, I, b- I believe, are going to begin at nine o'clock. But we want folks in the chamber no later than eight thirty because we always have some business matters we need to deal with. But we have a dedicated group that comes up from Shelby County, and they usually try to get here by eight thirty. So we hope to have a full house. Now, um, this time of year, we wanted to give you a little bit of a reminder, and this will also be in our paper about the inclement weather policy. Um, and you can also visit our website. We'll have a story up there on the inclement weather policy. They'll have a link to the policy. But just as a reminder, um, just because there's inclement weather, it doesn't usually warrant the closing of state offices. A lot of state employees think when they look out the window, if it's really bad, that state offices are closed. But that's not necessarily always the case. And if they haven't closed state offices, it becomes a personal decision for the employee. Now, if you do make a personal decision, to stay at home for safety reasons, you know, uh, you can use annual or comp time for your absence. But there are occasions where um, the governor or the governor's designee will close some state offices, and usually they'll announce that through the media. Um, and so I can say if it's snowing pretty bad outside, turn on your TV, uh, check Twitter, um, and keep an eye on, on the governor's announcements. And in that instance, you'll receive administrative leave with pay for your regularly scheduled working hours. Now there are some employees who work in positions where um, they have to reach, they have to come into work regardless because of the nature of their job. You know those would be folks that maintain the health and safety of others, or uh, you know they work in the Department of Correction, uh, watching inmates, and these folks will have to go into work. But if they if they must work, if those employees must work, they're eligible for regular uh, comp time for hours worked during the period of, of the closing. So. If you have some questions about that, you can call us, call our compensation benefits staff, call Keisha Pittman, 
or Gail Robb at 615-256-4533. Um, or you can email Keisha at Keisha, K-E-I-S-H-A dot Pittman, P-I-T-T-M-A-N at T-S-E-A online.org. Okay, so moving on, in other news, um, Randy, January 1st, there were some new laws that went in, into effect at the federal law level there were. that impact state employees, um, and these are, these are laws on overtime, and from what I understand, the federal government has raised the overtime exemption from $23,660 annually to $35,568, and what that means is that if you earn under $35,568 and you're a salaried employee, you must now receive overtime for any hours worked over 40 in a week. Um, before, it was 23660 so that's quite a jump. It is. It's uh, over $10,000, so that's probably going to affect a lot of state employees, I would imagine. It's affected folks not only in state government and federal government, but across the private sector, too. So it's a huge change. Um we wish there had been a little bit more notice about the change because, again, as Chris pointed out, this has been developing now really for a couple of years. But at the federal level, there's been a lot of changes and um, there were some delays in implementation. And some of the departments can see that we could probably done a better job of communicating out that the change was coming. But the departments will have their own individualized rules, I understand, about what type of compensation people will receive. It could be flex time. It could be comp time. In some cases, it could be uh, actual payments in, in your paycheck. But it's a big change. We just need a little bit of patience as we work through uh, the communications we're having with the various departments. Uh, but overall, it should be good news for employees. And uh, so we just need to make sure that we're hearing from folks out there in the field, letting us know what's going on in your particular instance. And if there's issues we need to address, then we'll go directly to the commissioner of your department and then eventually, if necessary, to DOHR about any issues that are arising because of the change. Okay, so, um, and again, you can reach us at 615-256-4533 or on our website, tseaonline.org, or email us at info at tseaonline.org. There was some really good news that happened on January 7th, right as we got back in uh, to the swing of things here coming out of the holiday. Uh, Governor Lee signed an executive order to provide 12 weeks of paid family leave for state employees. Well, that's quite a precedent and, and great news, welcome news for state employees. It, it is tremendously good news. Um, and Governor Lee was able to uh, do it by executive order for Team Act employees. Uh, however, he expressed an intent from the very beginning to share this benefit with all state employees um, and um, some of the higher education facilities, um, institutions, excuse me, are already working on that. But it, it is a um, great benefit. I want to encourage, you know, most of our members are under the Team Act, but we need to extend this to all state employees. It's one of those cases where we need to work together to make sure that we extend it to all state employees that includes folks in judiciary um, folks in higher education um, the legislative staff the staff of all of our constitutional officers there's a lot of folks that aren't included that we want to work to help pass the legislation to include it for all state employees so we'll be asking our members to engage their legislators about that topic 
as a reminder, when we talk about the executive branch employees, just, you know, there's three branches of government. You know, a lot of our employees or members also um, express a little confusion over this whenever we say that it applies to executive branch employees. Mm -hmm. So we have the judicial branch, the legislative branch, and the executive branch. And then under the executive branch, you've got your preferred service and your executive service. So when they say executive branch employees, they're talking about those employees that fall under the executive branch. Preferred service employees are the majority of state employees. So um, when you hear executive branch, more likely than not, that applies to you. Uh, okay, and then of course a qualifying event is just considered a, a serious health condition. I'm not talking about a stomach ache or something like that. Now that could turn into a serious health condition, but they're just talking about a, an illness, injury, impairment, or physical or mental condition that involves inpatient care or continuing treatment by a healthcare provider. And of course, DOHR is working on the policy guidelines, uh, as Randy had mentioned, and, and we're in communication with them. Um, and they're aligning it with um, their current rules on FMLA, but those should be out by March 1st, which is when the executive order um, becomes effective. So, and then, so like Randy mentioned, we talked about during the legislative session, they've got a bill that they're working on to include some other state employees. Now, in that bill, um, as I understand it, higher ed's not included in the legislation, but part of that is just based on the function of how, or the organization structure of, of, of our government. Isn't right? Well, and higher education has always been very independent, so the legislature is usually reluctant to mandate that they do something, but again, we're going to be working with them to uh, implement it, and again, I think we're going to talk about along the way that there's already some steps being taken at some of the universities to let this apply. Yeah, I have some of the information here on higher ed leave. Uh, UT recently announced a task force to consider providing 12 weeks paid leave for their employees by July 1st. And in that same press release, they announced a new leave policy to allow UT employees paid time off for organ donation or to donate bone marrow. And that will be effective March 1st. Uh, we, we also heard from East Tennessee State University President Dr. Brian Noland who said ETSU is reviewing their parental leave policy. So there's some movement going on. Um, you know, this is a, this is an important issue. I think these organizations and are realizing that it's a, it's a value that employees are looking for. And, you know, we've got some challenges with turnover and vacancy. And I think this is another benefit that's going to help, um, kind of address some of those concerns. Um, but you know what's interesting, uh, getting into a little conversation on this, is that what I find interesting about Governor Lee is that he's a spiritual man that's not afraid to talk about his faith. I read an article in the Tennessean recently where you know it talks about his morning routine. He wakes up every day, he makes a cup of coffee, and then he has some quiet time and reads his Bible. And he does that every single day, and he meditates on what he's got to address that day, and then he moves into the day feeling confident that he's making decisions based on you know, meditating on those ideas. And I just find it interesting that, you know, he's, when he makes a decision, he can, he, he says, well, I think the quote was, I can sleep well at night knowing I've done what I think is right and just and fair and best for all Tennesseans. And that's, you know, it's, it's admirable. And, you know, when he came out with this executive order, I mean, it tells you a lot that it was an executive order to provide right. 12 weeks paid leave. He knows this is the right thing to do, and that's how he feels convicted to that. You know, and it's, you know, it's refreshing to see someone step forward with that confidence and with that uh, conviction to his faith. 
it, it is a huge benefit and i think he he did it because he thinks it is the right thing to do and uh you, you pointed out to me that it actually goes back to ancient times there's examples of this back in ancient time king solomon who uh in most people's view was the wisest man to ever live and in his treatment of people he made sure that when he was building the temple that he reserved time for those workers to be back home and be with their families he had a schedule that allowed them to be on the job doing what they needed to do but at the same time he was conscious that those workers needed to be back with their families for an extended period of time so it's a fundamental principle that's strong and you're right there has been a little bit of pushback uh, folks have asked why Governor Lee did this at this time, and it's because he feels like it's the right thing to do. Yes, there's going to be economic benefit, I believe, for the state of Tennessee for it. It's going to help us with recruiting. It's going to help us with retention. But the bottom line is Governor Lee appreciates state employees. He went across the state meeting with them one-on-one. He wanted to do something significant to benefit state employees, and that's why he's implemented this executive order. You know, um, and I think that that's in, uh, if those who want to look that reference in the Bible up, I think it's uh, 1 Kings chapter 5, um, verse 13 and 14, deals with when they were building the temple. That's and, right. And, um, you know, I want to encourage folks, if you can, to follow me on Twitter. It's a personal Twitter account, but I use it often for TSEA business, and I'm going to be tweeting out that uh, scripture real soon here because uh, I think it's an excellent point to be making as we continue to talk about the need for this family uh, paid medical leave. And his uh, Twitter address is at Randy Stamps. Right. right. Uh, Pretty so simple. It's a little at sign and Randy Stamps, all one, <laughs> all one word, no periods or anything in there. Okay. Um, one other interesting thing is that federal employees now receive 12 weeks paid leave. That's right. And speaking of Twitter, not long after Governor Lee made this uh, announcement, uh, President Trump thanked him for doing that because President Trump enacted this for federal employees in the last few months, too. So um, it's a bold endeavor, uh, but it's not unprecedented. And again, um, you know, the the president has seen this need for his employees, and we're glad that Bill Lee uh, joined in with that movement to provide family medical leave that's paid sure we'll be talking a lot more about this in the coming weeks and months ahead um okay so changing gears here a little bit um department of correction there was a audit by the comptroller at the end of last year we uh results were released to the legislature and then we received those results earlier this month um the findings of that audit and over the last couple of weeks commissioner parker has been before um, a couple of bodies of of legislators and and hearings addressing these concerns and answering questions and there are some concerns there that need to be addressed (laughs) well there was a hearing that lasted about five hours uh recently and another one just yesterday so yes it's been discussed a lot there's a lot of frustration on Capitol Hill about it, and and we're frustrated because there are some very serious issues that need to be addressed. But uh, Commissioner Parker is doing a good job at addressing those issues. And first of all, this audit 
would never have happened under his predecessor because Commissioner Parker allowed uh, the comptroller to come in and have unprecedented access to the Department of Corrections. So, yes, when you have that kind of access, you're going to find issues and problems in such a large organization. Um, and, again, we're in communication with the commissioner about the issues. He's working hard to address them. But we've got to just realize that the Haslam administration and Commissioner Schofield dug a deep hole of problems in the Department of Corrections. And many of the problems that we're seeing today and that have been exposed by this audit are a result of that management style. A management style where we had a governor that said, you need to come and tell me how you can spend 3% less every year um, in a budget. And that hurt the Department of Correction. A lot of damage was done during the Haslam Schofield years. And I don't. I feel like it's unfair to hold Commissioner Parker completely accountable for everything that's happening there today. And again, because he has shown he's willing to find the problems and solve them. So right now, I, I would ask that our folks stand with Commissioner Parker and let give him the chance to correct these problems that are exposed by the audit. And some of them are quite startling. Um, and, and they get complicated. Uh, the issue of some fines that were levied and their payment is a complicated issue. And we're, we're going to be getting the details out to our folks. But let's, let's give uh, the commissioner time to work through these problems because in the discussions I've had with him, uh, they've been positive and I, and I know he's genuine. And um, our association president, Donnie Cole, who has a lot of experience in the correction field, we're going to be meeting with the commissioner again just in, in next week. And so those discussions are ongoing. We've got great access there. So uh, I'm encouraged mainly by the fact that the problems have been exposed and they're going to be addressed. We're going to continue also, um, as always, to work with members of the legislature to support the department. And we're obviously going to keep an eye to ensure any of these decisions that are made are in the best interest of our um, employees working in TDOC. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll keep you posted on the website. And look, I mean, I know there, there are some micro issues that come up. We've received a lot of questions after we put out a statement about this, dealing with um, supervisors and managers who are requiring certain things of their employees in this department, like mandatory overtime and some other things that they're, they're, they're focused on. And Let me be clear. We've got some management problems in the Department of Correction, without a doubt. We've got some supervisors who... Uh, don't manage appropriately. They don't show the yeah. proper respect for correction officers and the whole line of folks in the correction field. And we're working on that. And DOHR um, is supposed to have a program where they help train supervisors and managers about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. And in all candor, there's probably some bullying going on in the Department of Corrections. And we, we've got to address that. But again, the trend is in the right direction. Things are getting better. It's a huge organization. It's the largest organization in state government. And we've got to give Commissioner Parker time to right the ship. One last thing that developed last week, and then Randy, I think, had some comments on higher ed, but the University of Memphis announced that they're going to increase their minimum wage at $13 an hour. President David Rudd emailed faculty and, and let them know that uh, all their regular hourly wage employees will be moved to $13 an hour by July 1st yeah. of this year. And that's great news. He's keeping a commitment. Um, I know 
you know, it takes a little bit of patience sometimes for him to get to that $15 level. Uh, but we commend him and, and we have along the way because he's made a commitment and he's keeping it. I, I think some of the impatient comes uh, from the fact that the UT Health Science um, campus has already moved to $15 an hour as a minimum wage. That's a smaller campus, so it was a little bit easier for them to move there more rapidly to $15 an hour. But, you know, I, I got to visit the UT Health Science campus recently and uh, visit with the personnel folks there. So when it comes to higher ed, the benefits that we're able to provide our members are based upon the relationships we build with the personnel folks and, and the university presidents and the chancellors along the way. So we're continuing to build there, uh, and it is great news. And the, the president of uh, University of Memphis needs to be commended for his work, and we thank him, uh, genuinely thank him, for continuing to move up that salary range. Uh, this last week we met with uh, representatives from the University of Memphis, ETSU, and TSU, and we're active on the Hill. We're always, um, whether it's a formal meeting or we're bumping into somebody in the hall, you know, we're we're having these conversations. And, of course, like Randy mentioned, you know, it's, it's um, uh, dealing with higher ed is a little bit of a different challenge because um, – you're dealing with individual universities, individual campuses, and that's kind of how you have to do business with higher ed. The funding is approved um, based on what the what the universities need, but how those universities spend the, those funds uh, is up to the university. And so, legislature doesn't really have um, or doesn't really take the lead on that. They allow these universities to make those choices. So. Right. It takes a little bit longer, and it's a little bit um, more splintered of an effort for us where we can't just go to one place and, and have that conversation. We have to travel around to these different schools. It is difficult, again, because higher ed has always been very independent, so we have to strike that balance of moving them in the right direction and still respecting their independence. All right. I'm Chris Dauphin, your TCA Communications Director, and this is Executive Director of Randy Stamps, and we'll see you next time. Well, that's this month's episode of Ask TSEA. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit questions to our show, email those to asktsea at tseaonline.org or visit our website at tseaonline.org slash ask-tsea. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TSEA Online. That's all for this month. Have a great month. We'll see you next time.